you know, they've got, uh, they just are full of, of great uh, truth and great doctrine, great teaching. And I know that a lot of churches today are going away from songbooks and they don't want those old hymns. Uh, that's the reason why the many churches are losing that doctrinal strength uh, because they don't have that in their music. They don't have it in the, the preaching. And praise the Lord, we still have a, a Bible that gives us a lot of doctrine, a lot of truth. And I pray that you are uh, in, your, in the Bible uh, on a daily basis and strive to be there because it will help you, it will encourage you along the way. All right, Psalm 77 can I ask you to stand, please, as we read God's Word? We're going to read this, this whole chapter. You say, Pastor, a whole chapter. I know. But when I have you sit down this time, you're going to be down. Okay. Psalm 77, verse number 1. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, and my spirit was overwhelmed, Selah. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I was so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old, the years of the ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart, and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be, uh, will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone over uh, forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity. But I will remember the years of the right hand of the, uh, of the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy works. And talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people and the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God, and the waters saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a, a sound. Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightnings lighted, uh, lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. The way, or thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leadest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for being able to come and once again to worship together in your house. I thank you for these believers that know Christ as their Savior who are longing to hear you speak from your word. And Lord, I know that you have a message for us tonight. Lord, I know that I cannot uh, deliver the message that I ought to speak without your, your power. And so, Father, I pray that you just speak through me tonight. Lord, give us exactly what we need. And Lord, I pray that we would be helped. Lord, I pray if there's one without Christ that the message would be clear of salvation and that they would put their trust in, in Jesus once again and once and for all. Father, we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. When we look at this word, we find it in, in chapter 77 in verse number 10. It says, and, and I said, this is my infirmity. When we Look at that word infirmity and think about that. Noah Webster defines infirmity this way. It's an unsound or unhealthy state of the body. Weakness, feebleness, weakness of mind. Dictionary.com says it's a physical weakness or an ailment, a lack of strength. Have any of you ever had an infirmity? <laughs> Some of you say, Pastor, I've, I've had an infirmity for a long time. Uh, it might be a physical infirmity. It might be an infirmity that is something that has come upon you, not necessarily a physical one, but something that has come upon you where you lack the strength to get you through. You know, each of us will face times of infirmity. We don't like what our infirmities will do to us. For example, uh, it may zap us of our strength. You say, well, pastor, you know, I've, 
I, I, I had this strength when I was in my 20s and my 30s, and, and now I'm a little bit older, and I just don't have the strength like I used to have. Uh, you know, maybe you've had some ailments. You know, I've had cancer, and, and I just don't have the strength that I used to have. Uh, it may limit our usefulness because of our infirmity. It may hinder us from accomplishing all that we desire to accomplish. But how do we respond when the infirmities come our way? Do we become angry over our circumstances? Do we lash out at others because uh, we are frustrated about our infirmity? Do we become introverted? Some people do that. When they are going through a time, many, uh, when they hear something that is an infirmity that comes their way, all of a sudden now they become introverted and they isolate themselves from others. And they think about themselves. The psalmist Asaph, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about going through a time of infirmity in his life. In fact, in verse 9 we find the battle was raging in his life. We see in verse number 2, it says it was a time when his soul refused to be comforted. It says, in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. You know, there's some people when they're going through a time of infirmity, it doesn't matter what you say. It will not, they will not be comforted. They have decided that they won't be comforted. You say, well, pastor, you have an example of that? Yeah, Elijah in the scriptures. When he was told that he was going to be put to death by Jezebel, and he goes on the run, he gets rid of his, his, his uh, servant that would help him and encourage him and, and do things for him. He would set him aside. Now he goes off by himself, and he starts thinking about himself and what's going on. And so as he's going through that time, uh, the Lord... Uh, sends an angel with some food and some water and says, hey, you know, we got a journey. you got to go. And, and uh, so he goes on that journey, and uh, God says, what are you doing here? And he, he says, well, you know what? I'm the only one of Israel that's standing for God. Doesn't it, don't you feel that way sometimes? I'm the only one that's standing for God here in Stevensville. Uh, you know, you may feel that way sometimes. Or in your home, I'm the only one that's standing for God. Uh, and God demonstrates his power in an earthquake, and a whirlwind, and fire. And uh, here you can see, as the Bible says, here comes Elijah comes out, he wraps the mantle. God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Well, I'm the only one that's standing for It was like he was refusing. His soul was refusing to be comforted. You aren't alone. I'm with you. Don't worry about Jezebel. He, God could just speak, and Jezebel would be gone. He could just snuff her life out. And uh, he could put Elijah right beside her, give her blindness, and she would never find him. Hey, we have a God that's a great God. But here, Asap, as he was going through this time of infirmity, he says, you know what, I, I, I cried out to the Lord, and, and it says, my sore ran in the night. Some Bible scholars think that, that he had a, a, an oozing sore. We don't know uh, what that was about. Remember, Paul talks about his eyes in, in 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. But here, uh, you know, he's going through this time. He says, you know, I, my soul refused to be comforted. We notice if you keep on going in verse number 3, that when he thought about God, he was troubled. I remember God and was troubled. God, you know, what have I done wrong? That's what a lot of times when people are going through hard times or times of infirmity, the question is, well, what have I done wrong? God, why are you allowing this to come my way? Instead of God being the God of comfort to them in their mind, they look at God as being the God of judge. Well, sometimes he is. But you know, some, when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can have a fresh start. And if you have come to God and God's allowing an infirmity to come your way and, and, and you've confessed all your sins and you say, God, I still don't understand what you're doing, what you're accomplishing... You know, God chastens those whom he loves, and chastening is not only for sin, but chastening is to build our faith. And so here, as he was thinking about God, it was not a comfort as he thought about God. He was troubled about God. Oh, here, notice the next part when he was talking about going through the time of infirmity. He complained. He complained in verse number three. I complained. Well, you know, when you think about complaining, what is that? God, I don't like what's going on. I don't like how this is falling out 
And when you go through a time of infirmity, or when I go through a time of infirmity, many times we, we, don't, we don't like it, so we complain about it. Well, you're not alone. That's why it's great to go through the Psalms. It kind of helps you to identify. There's some people that feel just like you do. And you'll be able to identify it with different circumstances in your life. Notice something else that we find here. Uh, in in uh, verse, number, verse number three, he says, And my spirit was overwhelmed. He was overwhelmed. Man, how in the world am I going to get through this? He was overwhelmed. Verse number four, Thou holdest mine eyes waking. He said, What in the world is that talking about? He couldn't sleep. Anybody had problems, had something uh, that's going on in your life, and you just can't sleep? Man, I've woke up many times in the middle of the night, and, and uh, boy, you know, you're thinking about it. You're, you know, you thought about it before you went to bed, even though you might have prayed about it. You're still thinking about it, and you think about it in the middle of the night. You know, usually what you think about it before you go to bed is what you think about throughout the night. So that's the reason why it's encouraging. It, you, you're encouraged not to go to bed angry, because what you're going to do, when you, if you go to bed angry at somebody, you're going to get up in the morning, you're going to be more angry in, in the morning because you've been thinking about it all night long. That's why God says, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Get, that, get those things right. But here, as he was thinking throughout the night, he says, man, I can't even get, get any sleep. And then when you can't get any sleep, then that really makes things hard. It makes things bigger than life. Um, notice what we find also in verse 4. He says, I, and I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I don't even know what to say. Now, for some people, that would be amazing. But here, Asap was explaining the fact that, man, there's just no words to explain what I'm feeling right now, what I'm going through. He was troubled, didn't know what to say. He even questioned in his heart if God was going to ever help him again. Look what it says. Verse number 7, Will the Lord cast off forever, and will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone over, uh, forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he uh, in anger shut up his tender mercies? Boy, this guy is going through a difficult time in this infirmity of, of his life. You know, in the, main, in the remaining portion, though, in verses 10 through 20, we find the psalmist finding victory in the Lord. When you're going through a time of infirmity, you can have victory in the Lord. Uh, you can be victorious in those times, those trying times. The answer of being able, can you do that? Yes. It's all where you place your eyes and your hope. Asap shares what he did to help him cope while going through trying times. I want you to notice as we consider here, first of all, uh, with the title of our message, What to Do in Times of Infirmity, remember, first of all, remember the Lord. Remember the Lord. Look at verse number 10. Remember the Lord. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the, of the right hand of the Most High. He said, you know what? I'm going to remember the years when I was sitting at the right hand of God. When I was close to God. That word infirmity means to become weak or sick or to be grieved. You know, circumstances can, can change quickly in our lives, can they not? One moment we can be physically well, and the next we can be confronted with a condition which will change our life forever. One minute things are going well, and the next minute the bottom seems to drop out. Like Job. Oh, Job was had all sorts of blessings. God was so good to him, and God had given him wealth and had given him a family and given everything and he was just living for God. There was none that feared God and shunned evil like Job, the Bible says. But Satan came along and said, hey, you know what? If I just touch him and touch the things that he's got and he'll curse you to your face. And God in, said, okay, uh, Satan, you, can ha you do what you will, but don't touch his life. You know, Satan does not have free reign to do whatever he wants to in your life. Sometimes we think it. Sometimes we think we're stretched through our infirmity, through the, the things that are, we have, we are, uh, the Lord has allowed to come into our life, that uh, we can't be stretched anymore. But the Lord knows how, to, how much to stretch us. You know, I was thinking about uh, Brother Prem over there in the Ukraine, and we were, listening, we were reading 
uh, Kimberly was reading some of the remarks that he said, and as he had been here in the States with his family for a little bit, and he was going to go back to Ukraine. And as you've been seeing on the news, they've been bombing the Odessa. Many people, there's some people that have died over in that place. That's where he's, that's where he's working as a missionary, trying to win people to Christ. And he said to his, his wife and his daughter, he says, you know, we're not sure whether, but the, this might be the last time we'll see each other out of sight of heaven. Folks, can I tell you something? When you stop and think of the infirmities that some of us face, well, I wonder if I'm going to, you know, going to have a lot of money in the bank. If I'm going to be good looking. Well, some of us, it's never going to happen, amen. So you might as well, you might as well just give up on that. Let, that, let, let the Lord take care of that. Um, but you understand what I'm saying? The infirmities that some people are facing are so much greater than ours. But our infirmities are important to us. And it was important to Asaph as he was going through this. And under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, God wanted him to understand that, you know, what, what do we do in the times of infirmity? We need to look and remember our God. Remember when you were close with God. Remember those sweet times when you drew close to the Lord. You know, depression can often begin to set in when, uh, when we're going through times of infirmity. And the only thing that we can say is the trouble, the struggle, the problems that are going on around us. I recommend when people go into the doctor to, especially when there's news that are not, it's not good news, uh, to have, uh, have a loved one with them. Uh, you say, well, pastor, you know what? I'm strong. I'm, you know, I can handle anything. It's amazing when you go into the office or when you go into that doctor's office, and I've been with people in different situations like this, and they hear that word cancer. And all of a sudden, everything else is blocked out of their mind. They don't even hear what the doctor's saying. They don't hear that there's hope. They don't hear that, that there's, there's some different things. that they, could, they don't hear any of that. That's why it's important that uh, when you go through those times, that uh, you say, hey, you know what, uh, would you please come and take some notes for me? Because you won't hear everything, I guarantee it. And uh, things that you think they said is not what they said sometimes. But when we go in that time, sometimes depression starts to, to get in and we start getting further and further into depression as we think about our infirmities. But remember the good times with the Lord. Though the psalmist Asaph was going through a hard time, he made a decision. He made a decision that he was going to center his thoughts upon the Lord. He was going to focus upon his God. You know what I find quite often when people are going through a time of infirmity? What they don't do is this. They don't focus on God. They focus on running away. They focus on keeping themselves busy so they can't think. They focus on all sorts of things other than God, and the hope and the peace comes when you focus on God. Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 26.3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. See, perfect peace doesn't come, as I've said uh, the past couple of weeks, by yoga. You say, oh, Pastor, you know what, if I just hum... And I sit there and cross my legs around my neck, and I sit there and hum, and I feel it. I feel the perfect, you know, the, the inner peace that comes from within. Can I tell you something? There's only peace that comes from Jesus Christ. The peace that comes from Jesus Christ is going to be lasting. We don't need a religion, a false religion, to give us peace. We've got a God. We've got a Savior who can give us peace. Jesus said, "In the world you'll have tribulation, but in me you'll have peace." will have peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. You know, as we think about this idea of remembering, you know, uh, it's important to, re to consider there's some things that we're to remember and there's some things that we're not to remember. Some people, when they look at the scriptures, you know, they look at, for example, uh, the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul says, that we're not to look back. He, they quote uh, Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14. Uh, he says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things that are before, I press toward the mark uh, for the prize of the high calling of God 
in Christ Jesus. And so people say, well, we're not supposed to look back. But if you look at the context of what Paul is talking about there, we're not to look back at what we've given up for the cause of Jesus Christ. We're not to, you know, Paul starts talking about his pedigree, starts talking about all that he had before he got saved. He says all that stuff that people looked at was something important. He says, I count but loss. That I, I was trusting in my works back then. I counted all that but loss that I might obtain Jesus Christ. So he's not talking about the, the things that are, the, the, that are past. You know, memories of the past, some of us have got some good memories of the past. We've got some memories of our parents. We've got some memories of some good things. But I want you to consider, as the Bible says, though there, there are some things, you know, we're to press on toward Jesus Christ uh, since we've been saved, but there, there's some instruction and importance of looking back. There's an instruction and importance. Go to Isaiah 51 and verse number 1. Isaiah 51 and verse 1. We are instructed to look back. Isaiah 51 and verse number 1. Here is Isaiah's writing. Isaiah 51 and verse 1. He says, Hearken to me, ye that follow after righteousness. Ye that seek the Lord. Look. Notice what it says. Look unto the rock whence ye are hewn, and to the hole of the pit whence ye were dug, or digged. Hey, remember that place that the Lord dug you out of before you got saved? <laughs> Boy, I don't like that hole. I don't like what it, what, it, what it was back then. I like what Jesus has done in my life since then. Some of us, we, you know, we say, well, I don't feel like I'm moving ahead. I don't think I'm going very fast with the Lord. I don't think there's a lot of changes. Well, if you remember when you got saved, and what God has done in your heart and in your life. Remember that pit, how, how it used to be. So, you know, I use that illustration of, of a stop sign and how, the, you know, how a person matures. And they, you have a stop sign right there. And, and uh, uh, you, come up, you come up to the stop sign of, of lying, for example. As you come up to that stop sign, you have a choice to lie or not. Boy, you just, you know, a person asks you a question, it's just so easy to lie, you just go blowing right past the stop sign. God says, don't lie. Well, you know, but, but this is the way I've been. And as the Holy Spirit comes and starts working in your life and tells you, you know what, we're not to lie one to another. We're supposed to speak truth, every man to his neighbor. And so as time goes on, as I mature, you know, after a while, I don't go down the road a mile or two miles before I realize, oh, that was wrong, and I confess and get it right. Now I'm a half a mile. Now I'm, I'm right at the stop sign. Now I can see the temptation when it's coming uh, that I'm not supposed to lie. And I say, okay, I'm, 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 if I have a choice between lying and not lying, I'm going to tell the truth. That's maturity. Remember the pit from whence you were dug. We're to remember what the Lord has done in our life. We need to remember those things. We ought not to go back and keep dredging up all that stuff. Because I found this to be true. If you keep dredging up all that stuff and you keep bringing up all that stuff of your old life of the past, it won't be long before you'll go back to that old life of the past. It's like taking a, a Band-Aid that's on a sore and you rip that, you have that Band-Aid and it rips off the, the scab that's going underneath and you have to start all over again. God says, you know what? We need, yes, we need to forget those things that are behind in the sense that, that uh, you know, we're moving on. We, those things that we thought would get us to heaven are not going to get us to heaven. Only Jesus can get us to heaven. But we need to remember that what God, where we were, we're only a sinner saved. By grace. Sometimes we can get so caught up in, in what God has done and we start thinking as we said this morning, look what I have accomplished. Folks, if any good thing has come out of your life, it's been because of Jesus. He is the one that's done the good work. It's not you. It's not me. Just trying to submit and surrender my life to Him and let Him guide, Him direct he is the one that is working. The Spirit of God is the one that guides us. It's all about Him. And we need to lift Him up. We need to remember the pit from whence we were dug. We can become proud and about our accomplishments. We are to remember where we came from. Sinners on a road to hell. 
And Jesus came and saved us. We ought never to forget that. We ought never to forget that. We ought to always remember that. I go through reading Isaiah 53, and every time it just breaks my heart. Because it talks about my Savior and what he went through. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. That was my Savior. We need to remember how we used to be and how Jesus loved us and saved us. We need to remember how the Lord has worked in the past. Look at verses 11 and 12 back there in Psalm 77. That's what Asap did. He remembered how the, the Lord had worked in the past. Psalm 77, verse number 11 and verse number 12. He says, I will remember the, the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember the, the wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work. Remember. That Hebrew word is the idea to be brought to remembrance, to recall. He says, I will meditate. I will think about. Uh, Noah Webster says that idea of meditate means to have contemplation, to revolve any subject in the mind. You know, you've been on those revolving doors and you keep coming back and you're coming back. And you come, sometimes some of those are pretty tricky. You've got to get out at just the right time. I, I, sometimes I've been at the... At, uh, it's at a community hospital, and they had one of those revolving doors. Praise God, they got rid of that thing. Because sometimes, if you didn't get it, you know, you just kind of run, you, get, you try to get in the middle of it so that you get, you get in and get out without getting in there and just get caught in there going around and around. But the thought here about meditating is stopping and thinking and mem uh, meditating, thinking about what the Lord has done, the works that the Lord has done. God working in the past. How has, God been, how has God worked in the past? Well, God's power in creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Man, we have a God that's not a, a God who's impotent. We have a God who's a powerful God. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. When we look out at the stars, I love watch, looking at some of the Hubble uh, space shots that they've got out there in space. So beautiful. That's our God who's created all that. No, evolution has done all that. It just all happened. Well, if you want to think that, that's your thought, but let me just tell you something. It's foolishness. The foolish has said in his heart, there is no God. There is a God of order and a God of design that has created all that and all those planets out there. And the Bible says he knows everyone by name. They tell us that there's 100 billion stars in our galaxy and that there's 100 billion galaxies. And God knows them all by name, all those stars. Hey, that's a God who's amazing. He's a God of power and he spoke it into existence. Colossians 1.16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible. You mean, Pastor, all the atoms that, are, that make up this, uh, this pew, we see it. Well, it's visible, we can see it. But there's atoms that make up that, 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 uh, that bench right there. May I share with you, God created all those things, the visible and the invisible, the spiritual realm. God created it all. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things are created by him and for him. His power has not diminished one bit. He's still an omnipotent God. No matter your infirmity, God has the power to help you through your infirmity. Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You say, well, Pastor, now let me just tell you something. There's some things that I have been really hard in my life. And, and let me tell you something. God, who cannot lie, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. No matter what your infirmity may be, you need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one who can give you the strength you need. If you look to yourself, you're going to fail. You look to others, they're going to let you down. But Jesus Christ will always be there for you. He will always see you through. 
considering how God's worked in the past, His power. Consider God's protection and provision. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2. Deuteronomy chapter 8, as we're thinking about what God has done in the past. That's what Asaph did. He remembered how God had worked in the past. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse number 2. It says, And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. We're to remember all the, all the way. The children of Israel to remember those 40 years in the wilderness. Boy, was that, a, was that a time. I think of Moses dealing with that million and a half to three million Jews in the wilderness for 40, day, or for 40 years. Complaining, griping. We have no water. We have no food. We want more food. We, we, you know, we want to go back. We, we, we don't have what we want. Why do we have to keep going? That's exactly what Moses dealt with for 40 years. But here, God says, I want, as God is using Moses, he says, remember how that God took care of you all those 40 years. You know what? Their feet, the Bible says, didn't swell. They didn't have to have new clothes. Their clothes lasted for 40 years. Guys, wouldn't that be wonderful? Your wife could have the same dress for 40 years, and she couldn't say, well, honey, let me just tell you something. My dress is wearing out. Nope, not, not in the wilderness. God helped their, their clothes to last that whole time period, the Bible tells us. That's God. See, that's impossible. No, that's God. That's our God. How he can provide for us. God wanted Israel to remember that he was watching over them and was working in their circumstances to shape them into the vessel that he wanted them to be. Dear friend, the God who saved us, provided and protected you in the past will continue to do so until he takes you home, no matter what your infirmity. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will, future, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day we get to go home. He's going to keep working on us. He's going to keep shaping us. He's not going to leave us nor forsake us. He's promised that. Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. You got a bill that you need to have paid? Oh yeah, pastor, I don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, my God is able to supply your needs. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I like that little chorus. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. He owns the rivers and the rocks and rills the sun and stars that shine. Wonderful riches more than tongue can tell. He is my father, so there might as well. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I know that he will care for me. <laughs> is, there, is our God limited to meet our financial needs, our Material needs that we know, that we need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. And he's been talking about your food, the things that you need to live in this life. He says, my God will take care of you. It's, we've seen over the years how God has just done that miraculously over and over and over again. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. says this, and the very God of peace sanctify, set you apart holy, and I pray God your whole spirit and your soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blameless means not coming into the area of guilt. God wants to shape you and to make you a holy vessel. He wants you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And he's working on you to get to that end. But notice the next verse, verse 24. Faithful is he that calleth you. You know, you were called. You say, called to what? You know, some of us, we got cell phones, and, and we almost can't live without those cell phones. I mean, we, we got to have them every place we go. 
You say, Pastor, you know, a person calls us on our cell phone, we're talking to somebody, we got we got to answer that cell phone right now. Really? Do you remember when, in days of old, not very many years ago, when you had one of those things in your house and it was a landline, and if people wanted to call you, they had to get, up, get you when you are at home, and they had to get you on, what if they didn't get you when you were there? Life went on. Now, well, if they don't get me right now, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, they probably go on with life. They probably get upset because they didn't get you and you didn't respond right then. Why have we so become so attached to these things that we don't even have any freedom any longer to have peace? Some of us, if we are young people, they, they feel like they've got to have these or, or you know what, I, I just can't live. You can't live very well. Let me just trust you. You can live. That's why some of them, they have to take them away from them. In, in South Korea, they were talking about kids that, that are so addicted to their phones that they're on them hours and hours on end and they can't function. And they have to start deprogramming and take them away so that they can start living in a normal world again. Folks, how sad that is that we've become so uh, convinced that that uh, life has to revolve around the social media. May I share with you, though, we need to remember how the Lord has worked in the past. One day, John Wesley, the old-time preacher, was walking with a troubled man, and he expressed that uh, this man was expressing his doubt as to the goodness of God. And uh, so he told uh, John Wesley, he says, well, you know, I don't know what I shall do with all this worry and trouble. At the same time, uh, John Wesley saw a cow that was looking over a stone wall. And he said uh, to the man, he says, do you know why that cow is looking over the wall? And the man replied, no. He, and John Wesley went on, he said, the cow is looking over the wall because she can't see through it. That is what you must do with all your wall of trouble. Look over it and avoid it. Faith enables us to look past our circumstances and focus on Christ. You know what? When we look on Christ and we focus our attention on there because we can't see through the problems, He can see beyond. He's already seen what is tomorrow. He already knows what He's got in store for us. We just need to keep our eyes. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The psalmist said, you know what? I need to, folk, I need to remember the Lord. I need to get my eyes on him. I need to remember how he worked in the past in my life and what he's done. But there's the second thing that we notice that he, want, that he did is he shared with others God's goodness. Go with me back to that portion, Psalm 77 and verse number 12. Psalm 77 and verse number 12. He shared with others God's goodness. 77, verse number 12. Last part, he says, I will meditate also of thy work, notice, and talk of thy doings. I will talk of thy doings. You know, our faith, is strengthened when we speak with our mouth what we know in our heart to be true. Can I repeat that again? Our faith is strengthened when we speak with our mouth what we know in our heart to be true. Let me give you an example. In salvation, Romans 10.9 says, that Thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. See, it starts in the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. This issue about salvation, we hear the, the gospel that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He died for my sins. He was buried and the third day rose again victorious. And because he lives, we too shall live. And I believe that. You say, well, pastor, were you there? No, wasn't. 
but the scriptures tell me it's true. God's word is true. And so when I believe it in my heart and then I speak it with my mouth, what does it do? It builds my faith. It builds my faith. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For example, another example, having a thankful heart. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. How many believe you're supposed to be thankful? We're supposed to be thankful. You believe that? Why do you believe that? Huh? I heard it. It's in the scriptures. The Bible says I, I just want to see if you remember that. We, the Bible tells us that we're to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, notice what it says, verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, give thanks. Now, we know that we're to be thankful in our heart. But he says, in everything, what? Give thanks. There's something about hearing those words come out of my mouth when I'm going through a difficult time, I'm going through a time of infirmity that strengthens my faith when I hear it in my ears. I may not feel like it. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of fact. The more that you hear the fact of truth, the more it will become part of your life on an everyday basis. In everything, give thanks. Well, in your, when you've got a flat tire... Praise the Lord. Glad I got it. Now I'm telling you, in, the, in my flesh, I'm not saying praise the Lord because now I know I got to air up that tire. I got to fix that thing. That's not what I had planned today. And it'd be very easy to be like Asaph was complaining. But instead, we're to do what? We're to be thankful. Because maybe that, if I'd had that all together, that accident that happened to somebody else would have been me. You say, well, Pastor... Uh, you know, I was, I was going to make a lot of money in, in, in uh, not in the lottery. I was going to make a lot of money in the bank, and all of a sudden, it, you know, it all dropped out. Lost all my money. Money is just a tool, isn't it? God, many times, wants to see how we're going to respond. I remember there was a, some folk in, that were friends of my parents, and they had had their money in the bank, and they were wise money managers and all this type of stuff and all of a sudden it was one of those times there was a, a situation where that particular stock that they had their money in dropped and uh, they lost it all well you know what it's kind of like Job we came into the world with nothing and sure we're going to go out that way amen what are you going to do well Job decided he was just going to keep his eyes on the Lord blessed be the name of the Lord Praise God. Well, I wish I had that. I'm working on that. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That's God's will for us. That we had realized that he's in control. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 20. That verse that we just got done saying says, in everything give thanks. So when you're in the midst of something, you're to give thanks. But here in Ephesians chapter 5, it says something a little different. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 20. Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to give thanks for all things. Well, that's easy to give thanks when people do something nice for you, and by the way, thank you for all the nice gifts and cards. It's nice when that, but what we're, we're to thank God not only for the good things that happen to us, but we're to thank God also for the infirmities that happen to us. That infirmity. So, but pastor, remember you said that sometimes when infirmity comes, it zaps us of our strength. We can't do what we want to do. We can't accomplish all the things. Hey, that was the struggle the Apostle Paul was having in his life. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Turn over there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Verse number 7, it says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations that were given unto me. <laughs> Paul says, you know what? I know I could have been puffed up with all that God taught me and God showed me. But God, in his loving kindness, gave me a thorn in the flesh. That's what he says. Verse 7, a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. God, I, I really could do you a lot better. I could be a better servant. I could be more impressive. People would, would like to hear me more. If, if I didn't have this problem, these oozing eyes, as some Bible scholars say. I've heard some weird stuff from uh, some of these Bible scholars that are out there and say, well, maybe it was his thought life. He had some evil thoughts and, and wicked thoughts. And that's, I don't know where they get that stuff. We know that Paul had some eye problems in Galatians. He, Paul said to the people at Galatia, he said, you know what? Uh, you would have even given your eyes for me. His eyes, after the scales had fallen off, uh, history records that he had oozing sores in his eyes. Could you imagine looking at somebody who's got a bunch of oozing sores? How would you like to look at that? It's kind of hard not to look at their eyes, you know, or look away because, and so Paul says, you know what, I, I besought God thrice, three times, that he'd take it away. Well, did Paul love the Lord? Absolutely. Was Paul serving the Lord? Absolutely. But you know what, there was a God who loved Paul so much that he gave him a thorn in the flesh, an infirmity, so that he would not get caught up in himself and be taken away by his own pride. Notice what it says. And he, talking of God, said unto me, Paul, my grace, my loving kindness is sufficient for thee, and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities, not one, but multiple, in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches, and necessities, and persecution, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Oh, but we don't like to be weak. Because people look at weak people as being people of not much use, but I submit to you. You see in the scriptures how that God used the weak, the insignificant, the people that Mankind wouldn't look to as being important to do the mighty things. The weak. We may not feel like giving thanks, but in so doing it shows to God that we're following his commands and eventually it will become who we are. A thankful people. Oh, it's not easy at the time. Because... My flesh says, why should I give thanks when this is not working the way that I want it to work? It doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with being obedient to the commands of the Lord in everything and for everything we're to give thanks. Say, Pastor, you got that down? Nope, I'm still working on it. Now, Brother Randy's already got it down, so if you want to know how to do it, just go talk to him. He's got it all under control. But may I share with you, we're all working toward this. When we have those infirmities, when those things come our way, when we're dealing with those things, hey, we need to let others know that God is good. God is good. As we share with others about our God, it strengthens our faith. Romans 10, 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You thought it was only by preaching. But you know what? That also works in our own heart when we, are, we know what the Scripture says we're supposed to do and we do it and we speak and we say, you know what? God is good. And when we're going through the time of infirmity, God is good all the time. People look at you like, what? Look what you're going through. How can you say that God is good all the time? Because He is. 
That's why Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. How are they going to know to glorify your Father which is in heaven? Just by doing good things? May I share with you, it's not just doing good things, it's by the words that come out of our mouth. Because now they know where it's coming from. It's coming from. We were at uh, Frontier. Many of you were there today. And Frontier, as I was getting ready to go out, there was a guy that was sitting over there. And uh, he looked at me and looked like he knew me. And uh, as I was walking out, he smiled and I smiled at him. And he says, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. Older gentleman with a, a, a military cap on and and he says uh, you go to the Mormon church down there I said I said no I'm the pastor of Galilee Baptist Church and uh, so we started a little conversation got a chance to talk to him about you know whether he was saved or whether he knew Jesus Christ as his savior folks may I share with you I had to speak he had to we had to open the, the our words and say hey you know you know, you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you know for sure you're on your way to heaven? He said, you know what? The only person I can talk to that I know hears me all the time is the Lord. Folks, may I share with you, we have to open our mouth. You know what? It lets the world know, not only lost, but saved as well. They, it lets them know that there is a God in whom they can trust. In September of 1981, an issue in the Ladies' Home Journal, the question was asked, in whom do you trust? Consider the responses. They wrote, 40% uh, of the people that were, questioned, or that were asked that question, Walter Cronkite was 40% of the vote. 26% John, uh, Pope John Paul. 6% Billy Graham, 3% God. Who do you trust? Psalm 78, verses 5 and 7, 5 through 7 says, For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. We're to share about God and how good God has been and share it with others, especially in those times of our infirmity. We may not feel like it, but those are the times that the world looks at us to see that there's something different about us. I want you to see one last thing back there in Psalm 77. And you're going through times of infirmity. We ought to worship God at his house. Psalm 77 want you to look at this. You say, Pastor, you're always harping on this. Well, it's because it's in the Bible a lot. Psalm 77. Look what he says in verse number 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. You want to know where you're going to hear about God? How wonderful God is? How powerful God is? It's not going to be out there in the world. You're going to hear about God in the church in the sanctuary, the place of worship. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders. Thou hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The water saw thee, O God. The water saw thee. They were afraid. The depths also were, tr uh, were troubled. The clouds poured out water. The skies sent out a sound. Their arrows uh, also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven. The lightning uh, lightened the, the world. The earth trembled that shook. The way in the, is in the sea. Thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. He was talking about how great God is. 
And how are you going to, where are you going to hear about the greatness of God and the power of God and the preservation of God and how God loves you? It's in the church. It's in the church. It was a place where they could hear about their wonderful God. It was a place where they would be challenged to look to God for their help and support. It was a place which would help to set their thinking straight. What do you mean, pastor, to set my thinking straight? Well, sometimes we don't think right. Look at Psalm 77, or 73, excuse me. And I want you to consider Psalm 73. Here's this man Asaph once again. Verse number one, it says, Truly God is good to Israel. That's a good statement. Even to such who are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, here Asaph had got his eyes looking on the wicked people. And his feet, his feet were getting ready to slip off into sin and off into evil. He says, notice what he says in verse 4, for there is no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in, in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They are corrupt, speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return thither, and the waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Wow. We see this on a regular basis. Just listen to the news. People just thumb their nose up at God, and they, and they just... Well, let me just tell you, we want to abolish all of these rules. We want to be free. Well, you know, what they want to do is they want to go in wickedness. Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Then he talks about himself. He says, Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain, Asap said. You know, I try and do right. I'm trying to keep sin out of my life. And I wash my hands in innocency. I'm trying to keep life and things right, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Man, I'm having a rough life and a rough time. Things are tough for me. He said, if I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. If he speaks the truth, people look at him and they say, you're just a religious freak. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Man, maybe I should just quit being a Christian. Maybe I should just give up on this thing. <laughs> Look at the next verse. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them, the evil ones, in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one waketh so, O Lord, when thou wakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee, talking about God. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Hey, folks, we, have, we are continually with God. Hey, they don't even have an understanding about God. God's going to just destroy them. It's not going to be long, folks. It seems like a long time, but it's not long. He says, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by thy right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. Talking about God. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. 
Thou hast destroyed all of them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. It's good for me to draw close to God. 1 Timothy 3.15 He says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of truth. I'm just going to be honest with you folks, and you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again. When people were coming out and saying, it's not important for Christians to go to the house of God to worship. It's not a necessary thing. It's as necessary for a Christian to be in the house of God as it is to breathe. The Bible says that the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And that's why I believe evil men under the control of Satan wanted people, Christians, to stay away from church. Bottom line. Because if you don't go to church, you don't get to be encouraged in the things of God. You won't get to hear about how great your God is and who, how he can help you and how you ought to live for him because one day we're going to be with him forever. You say, well, pastor, don't you think that uh, the COVID thing was a, a real thing? I think it's a real thing. I think that the world's not going to let it go. They're going to milk that thing for all it's worth because fear, perfect love casts out fear, folks. We as Christians need to stop fearing. We've allowed the world to tell us to be afraid. We've been told that over and over and over again. It's time that we start living by this book. Are you going through a time of infirmity in your life? I tell you, you ought to run to the Lord. Run to the Lord. Remember the times when you were close to him. Remember how Jesus has worked in the past. Share what the Lord has done in your life with others. And finally, worship the Lord in his house. Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting, uh, uh, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We ought to rejoice and we ought to come together all the more. That's why we ought to be here on Thursday night. We ought to be here to hear good Christian music. I wish I knew what Christian music was. Well, come Thursday night, you'll hear some. You'll hear some good preaching. Dr. R will challenge you, I guarantee it. Folks, may I share with you tonight, we can be victorious in times of infirmity. We can follow Asaph's example. He went through it, and it helped him, and it'll help you. Let's pray. Father, tonight I pray. For these dear folk, I don't know the infirmities that they are having. Some may have physical, some may have mental, things that they're grappling with. They may have other infirmities and things that are, have, have zapped their strength. They're, they're weak physically and, and don't have the ability like they used to have. But Father, there is hope for us to be victorious. And Father, I pray tonight that your word has been a help to us. Lord, I pray that it's been an encouragement. And I pray, Lord, tonight as we take these principles and apply them to our life, that it'll be a help for us in the future. May we lift up our wonderful Savior. May we lift you up before a lost world. Lord, you have the answers. You are the strength. You are our joy. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall be with him and like him, for we shall see him as he is. What a hope. What a joy. Lord, I thank you for this time, and I pray for these dear folk that are here tonight. With every head bowed and every eye closed, as you think about your life, are you facing an infirmity in your life right now? You say, Pastor, that idea of infirmity, that, that weakness, that, that frailty, whether it be physical or even mental, sometimes your mind is, so, is just toast. Can I tell you that's an infirmity? But God is able to help you through those times if you'll just look to him and cling to him. If you're like that this evening, you say, Pastor, man, I'm going through a time like that right now. Please, please pray for me. If you're like that, would you slip your hand up? Yes, amen. Several of you, yes, amen. Dear Father, we just pray for these dear folk that have raised their hand tonight. Pray, God, that you would give strength and power, peace 
encouragement, hope. Lord, I pray for your grace, your loving kindness to be poured out in their life. Father, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior tonight, I'd pray that you'd ask him to be your Savior. I'm so glad I prayed when I was seven and asked Christ to be my Savior. You say, well, Pastor, can those little ones really know what they're doing? I did. You know what? We've had some of them that are four years old. They understand they're a sinner. They need a Savior. Jesus died for them. They want him to be their Savior. I've seen people on the other end of the spectrum. I don't need Jesus as my Savior. I'm not a sinner. Really? Well, the Bible says we're all sinners. We all need a Savior. And Jesus is the only one. He's the only one that can save you from your sin. I pray if you've never received him tonight that you would ask him to be your Savior. Let's all stand. Brother Scott's going to lead us in a song of invitation. If, you're, if you'd like to know how to be saved, come. If you'd like to just come and pray. You're going through a time of infirmity. Hey, there's a person to look to. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray you'd look there tonight.